namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya So today we are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam Canto 1 Creation Chapter 5 Narada's instructions on Srimad Bhagavatam for Vyasadev, text 3. Jignasitam sushampanam apite mahad adputam kritavan paratam yastvam sarvarta paribrimhitam Jignasitam fully inquired Shushampanam, well-versed, api, in spite of, te, your, mahat adbutam, great and wonderful, kritavan, prepared, bharatam, the mahabharat, yatvam, what you have done, sarva artha, including all sequences, parambrimhitam, elaborately explained, Translation and purport by Srila Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. Your inquiries were full and your studies were also well fulfilled. And there is no doubt that you have prepared a great and wonderful work, the Mahabharat, which is full of all kinds of Vedic sequences, elaborately explained. The despondency of Vyasadeva was certainly not due to his lack of sufficient knowledge because as a student, he had fully inquired about the Vedic literatures, as a result of which the Mahabharata is compiled with full explanation of the Vedas. I was born in the darkest ignorance and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Sri Chaitanya Manovistam Stapitam Jena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Kadamayam Tadatit Swapadantikam. When will Srila Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, who has established within this material world the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, give me shelter under his lotus feet? Vancha Kalpa Tarubhyasya Kripasanubeyavacha Patitanam Pavanebhyo Vaishnavebhyo Namunamaha. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord, who are just like desire trees and they can fulfill the desires of everyone, and they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shri Vasari Gaurabhaktivrinda. I offer my respectful obeisances unto Shri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda Shri Advaita. Gadadhar Pandit, Srivastakur, and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So today we will um, review Vedavyasa's dissatisfaction with his compilation of the Vedas so far. We will discuss despondency or depression in Kali Yuga, and finally we'll conclude with what um, we can do in today um, to help 
mitigate these circumstances. So previously, um, and we've been discussing Veda Vyasa's um, exemplary works, you know, all the Vedas, he compiled all the Vedas, and we talked about that the last time I gave class, and the last few verses have been um, really expanding on that, that, what he's written, and how he's dissatisfied with what he's written. And we talked about last time that even though he's done so many wonderful things, he was still dissatisfied. And he felt in Srimad Bhagavatam 1.4.31, he states, This may be because I did not specifically point out the devotional service of the Lord, which is dear both to perfect beings and to the infallible Lord. So even though he spent all this time separating out the Vedas, writing the Vedas, it really just focused on how to live in the material world and be successful, um, it, you know, the mode of goodness, to live in the mode of goodness. But he didn't talk about, up until this point, how to live in the transcendental mode, how to transcend these material modes of nature and connect it to Krishna. And so because of this, he was feeling very despondent, dissatisfied. According to Srila Prabhupada, in the purport of 1432 of the Srimad Bhagavatam, he says, he still, still felt dissatisfaction because in none of his works were the transcendental activities of the Lord properly explained. The inspiration was infused by Sri Krishna directly in the heart of Yasudeva, and thus he felt the vacuum, as explained above. It is definitely expressed herewith that without the transcendental loving service of the Lord, everything is void. But in the transcendental service of the Lord, everything is tangible without any separate attempt at fruit of work or empiric philosophical speculation. So this is the final conclusion, and we discussed this last time, that without loving service of the Lord, everything is meaningless. What we want to strive for and to ha- is to have everything that we do to be in service of Lord, of Krishna. And because Vyasadeva at this point had not connected his writings, his compilation of the Vedas to Krishna, he felt very despondent. So if we look up this word despondency, the dictionary defines it as a state of low spirits caused by loss of hope or courage. It's a strong feeling of unhappiness caused by difficulties which you feel you cannot overcome. So despondent means to be very, feel very hopeless, like this is this situation is impossible. Um, there's no there's no way to overcome this. And this can be uh, interpreted as depression. It's also a sign of depression. So it's both. And, you know, when we talk about depression, we know that currently it's a big um, issue in the United States and all over the world globally. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, it is estimated that 10 to 15% of the general population, this is global population, will experience clinical depression in their lifetime. What clinical depression means is, in terms of um, medicine, there are certain criteria that have to be filled in order to be considered clinical depression. And it's, you know, you have all these symptoms, there's like a set of nine, and you have to have seven of the nine over a period of two weeks or um, or most feeling despondent most of the days of over a year. So 
This is just to get that official diagnosis of clinical depression. That doesn't talk about people that are feeling hopeless or despondent, but not really full-blown-out depression. Um, and it doesn't really address other feelings of, like, sadness, grief, um, distress, uh, things like that. <clears throat> if we look further at statistics, um, the World Health Organization estimates that 5% of men and 9% of women experience depressive disorders in any given year. According to a 2017 study published in the Journal of American Medical Association, one out of six Americans takes a psychiatric medication, uh, particularly antidepressants. So we can see that depression is a big uh, problem currently in the United States, and we might want to question why. Why do we have such um, an issue of depression? And, you know, according to medical science, it can be related to genetics. It can be it's due to a, a brain chemistry imbalance. We're also seeing that there's a connection between our lifestyle, what we eat, how much we exercise, how we manage our stress, sleep, um, that can also affect our depression if we're having or if we're experiencing depression, our medical condition, you know, a lot of times when people have chronic medical issues, they tend to have depression as well because it feels like it's overwhelming that you your body is just controlling your life. Um, and then some of the drugs that we take for those um, uh, medical conditions can also have a side effect of depression. So we also know, according to the Srimad Bhagavatam in 12.3.30, when there's a predominance of cheating, lying, sloth, sleepiness, violence, depression, lamentation, bewilderment, fear, and poverty, that age is Kali, the age of the mode of ignorance. So it's actually predicted in the Srimad Bhagavatam that depression will be rampant because all these other things are here and we're in the mode of ignorance. Kali Yuga is, is the age of ignorance as well as uh, quarrel and hypocrisy. So if we combine all these together, what even in, in the medical world, we're realizing that depression is more than just the chemicals in our brain and genetics. It's how we deal with situations, what our thought patterns are, how um, we look at the world, what our behaviors are, who are we hanging out with, um, where are we getting our influence from, what are we feeding our brains? And even what are we feeding our bodies? There's a study that was done that showed people who ate meat, more meat and fast food um, at least three or four times a week had higher rates of depression than those who abstained from meat or and didn't eat at fast food um, places as frequently. So we can see even um, what we eat can have a big profound effect of whether or not we have depression. And that doesn't mean that people that eat meat are more likely to have the brain imbalance. It's, it's kind of a combination of things. So um, from just a strictly medical perspective, we, we look at, like, we want to affect these things. We want to live a more positive life. There's a thing called positive psychology that we talk about um, that's coming up and coming. It's a theory of psychology, and it says that it's, um, studying human thoughts, feelings, and behaviors with a focus on strengths instead of weaknesses. 
building the good in life instead of repairing the bad, taking the lives of average people up to great instead of focusing solely on moving those who are struggling up to normal. So we're talking about just not just surviving, but thriving. So how can we achieve that? How, how can we look at all these things that are happening right now in the world and not feel depressed and not feel despondent? You know, if we're looking at the cause, um, according to the Srimad Bhagavatam in 11.25.18, one of the causes is when one's higher awareness fails and finally disappears and one is thus unable to concentrate his attention, his mind is ruined and manifests ignorance and depression. You should understand this situation to be the predominance of the mode of ignorance. So it says here when we're, we're not aware, we don't have this higher awareness and we're not able to concentrate, that can lead to depression. And if we read in Bhagavad Gita 2.66, it says, One who is not connected with the Supreme in Krishna consciousness can have neither transcendental intelligence nor a steady mind, without which there's no possibility of peace. And how can there be any happiness without peace? So this is what we see as the essence of, of the cause of depression, is that we have unsteady mind, and we're not focusing on Krishna. And that, when we when we don't focus on Krishna, we're focusing on other things. Can help. It can lead to despondency. That feeling of helplessness. If you feel like this life is all there is, and this body is all we are, then you know when we die. What is it? What else is there? You know, it can be kind of depressing to think that this there's nothing going, to go, going on. When somebody that we love passes away or is sick, we can feel despondent because what's going to happen to them? They're just going to disappear and, and dissolve into nothingness. You can feel kind of uh, despair from that. But we know that that's not the case because we know that we are spirit soul and we have a body. And the soul lives on, and the soul can't be destroyed. It, it's never created. It can't be burned. It can't be um, killed with any type of weapon. Um, and we know that it, it lives on, and so we see that as the body changes. And uh, I've heard Rasulullah Maharaj say this um, example all the time. Like, you know, where's his body when he was five years old? He looks in the mirror. He's still the same person, but he sees a different person looking back. And, you know, we can see that on a, on a small level that there's something within us that stays the same even though the outer body is changing. And even at the time of death, we take on a new body just as if at the end of the day we change our clothes. At the end of our lives, we change our bodies. Unless, of course, we connect our life to Krishna, then we don't take on another body and our soul becomes everything. It's not covered up by an external body anymore, and we um, get to hang out with Krishna in his crib, basically, <laughs> in in the spiritual world. So despondency is the soul's yearning to be with Krishna. If our life does not connect 
to loving service of Krishna, we experience despondency. In the purport of Bhagavad Gita 6.32, Prabhupada says, The cause of the distress of a living entity is forgetfulness of his relationship with God. And the cause of happiness is knowing Krishna to be the supreme enjoyer of all the activities of the human being, the proprietor of all lands and planets, and the sincerest friend of all living entities. The perfect yogi knows that the living being who is conditioned by the modes of material nature is subjected to threefold material miseries due to forgetfulness of his relationship with Krishna. And because one in Krishna consciousness is happy, he tries to distribute the knowledge of Krishna everywhere. So when we talk about depression, despondency, um, a great example comes to mind, and that is of Arjuna. In the beginning of the Bhagavad Gita, he definitely is feeling depressed, and he's feeling despondent, hopeless. He says, My dear Krishna, seeing my friends and relatives present before me in such a fighting spirit, I feel the limbs of my body quivering and my mouth drying up. My whole body is trembling. My hair is standing on end. My bow, Gandiva, is slipping from my hand and my skin is burning. I'm now unable to stand here any longer. I am forgetting myself and my mind is reeling. I see only causes of misfortune. Oh, Krishna killer of the Kesi demon. So we can hear this description of what he's of he's what of what he's feeling. We can almost feel it ourselves, you know, that I mean, I think there's been plenty of times where we felt you know, we can't um, speak, our mouth dries up, our hair might be standing on end, we feel our skin's burning, we feel hopeless. I mean, it's kind of describing a panic attack, right? From if I'm just going to diagnose him, it sounds like he's describing a panic attack. Um, even anxiety attack. So that's it's a really uh, profound situation for some for a devotee as great as Arjuna to be feeling this level of despondency. And then we see by the end of the Gita. So this was um, text twenty eight to thirty in chapter one. So if we look at chapter eighteen, which is the last chapter, and one of the last verses is seventy three. Arjuna says. My dear Krishna, my illusion is now gone. I've regained my memory by your mercy. Um, I am now firm and free from doubt and am prepared to act according to your instructions. What a contrast from the previous description of what he was feeling. You can feel his joy and hope. So what happened in those 18 chapters to help him feel that way? We can understand that just by reading that first you know, the first couple of verses where Arjuna is describing how despondent he feels. I mean, he even goes on to say he'd rather not live, right? We call that thoughts of suicide, suicidal ideation, when we feel we might be better off dead. Um, and that's definitely a part, a big part of clinical depression, right? But we, we see here that it's situational, so then we would call it situational anxiety or depression. So, but by the end, he has hope. He's saying... I feel fine. I, all my doubts are relieved. So by this example, we can understand that the Bhagavad Gita has some answers. You know, how we can deal with depression, despair, modern living, how we can feel hope and happiness. 
by studying the Bhagavad Gita, by studying the verses in here. You know, the big one is that we're not our soul. I mean, we're not our body. We are spirit soul. And that right there, when we come to that understanding, gives so much hope. Because we understand that the miseries that are happening to this body, right? We're getting old. We might be getting sick. Um, especially right now, everybody is sick. <laughs> Everybody's had the flu or some type of stomach bug or, or both. We can see that, you know, That'd be horrible if we were our body and nothing else. Because we know that we're not. We're just in this body, and the body can sometimes break down. And we're not um, subject to that. The Gita also goes on to talk about, well, because we're not our body, then we can understand that all this material happiness and distress is not really affecting us. So we can be equanimical to all of this. Krishna says in 1857 to 58, in all activities, just depend upon me. Work always under my protection. In such devotional service, be fully conscious of me. If you become conscious of me, you will pass over all the obstacles of conditioned life by my grace. If, however, you do not work in such consciousness, but act through false ego not hearing me, you will be lost. So right here is almost the essence of what we're trying to achieve, that we want to do everything that we do for Krishna and have him as the focus of our um, life, of our activities, of our attention. And if we don't, if we act through our false ego, that's when we start to feel the despair. You know, if I'm thinking I'm, you know, Jayshree Chasmawala doctor, and someone says something like, oh, well, you know, you're just a, a, a woman, and I take it personally and I get all upset, well... Really, the understanding is that person's not talking about me. They're talking about this body. And this body is a woman, so what's wrong with that? (laughs) You know, so, you know, just realizing that we don't take things personally in that sense because it's not personal. It's not talking about who we are in the true nature of ourselves, which is um, servant of Krishna eternally. In 245, Krishna says, Be free from all dualities, from all anxieties, for gain and safety, and be established in the self. So this is what we're trying to achieve. When we chant, when we read, when we associate, we're trying to achieve this level of being free from the dualities and focusing only on Krishna and our relationship with Krishna. So we can study the Gita and learn how to overcome depression, despair, despondency, and also how to overcome happiness, um, you know, this success celebration, because that's also just, it's part of the duality, right? We talk about not, um, you know, not being affected by distress, but we also don't want to be overly affected by happiness, you know? And in some ways, we are grateful for the distress, because if we didn't feel this level of despondency or distress, would we even look or search for anything higher? You know, if everything is all rainbows and sunshine and everything's all good, then are we going to really look, is there something more to life? Or, you know, is there is there a higher purpose? Um, and I've heard this said, and I've said this before, like nobody comes in front of the deity and says, oh, Krishna, please save me from this happiness. Please save me from this material wealth. Nobody, like, prays like that. We might be, oh, thank you so much for my happiness. Right? But we don't tell him, like, oh, please save me from it. I mean, I think the only person we know that has done that is... Um, 
Queen Kunti. That was her prayer to save her from the happiness, to keep her in distress so she can always think about Krishna. We don't have to take it to that extreme, but we have to understand that happiness is also part of that duality because it's temporary just as sadness is temporary. Now, this is in no way or means to downplay or um, diminish the importance of, of depression and the problems that it really has, even amongst devotees. Um, and it's not to say that people, that devotees that have depression have no faith or they don't have strong faith. Because uh, sometimes we hear that, like, oh, it's just a matter of not having enough faith in Krishna. Because really, our existence in the material world is very complicated. We've been here for thousands and millions and millions of lifetime. And we've been affected, you know, even if we don't realize it, it's there. That conditioning is there. And we're trying to clean that up. And we may still be subjected to the modes of material nature. But we're working toward this this faint ray of hope that that Krishna presents, that Krishna consciousness presents to us. So we're working towards that, but in the meantime, we're still feeling everything that we felt, that all this despair, and we're trying to, like, shovel ourselves out from it. Um, you know, when somebody is in pretty deep depression, it's hard for them to even think about what they can do to get out of the situation. And in that sense, you know, the medications are very important. So it's not to diminish anybody that's taking medicines for depression. It's also let's work alongside everything else and add Krishna to it because we know that that is the true medicine, you know. But sometimes just to even get to that point, we need to do things to get there. There are some things, you know, in... Um, in medical world and psychology, in the theory of positive psychology, they talk about three um, things, influences that we want to focus on. Positive experiences, right? Like having happiness, joy, inspiration, love, creating positive experiences to help people think more positive, have more positive outlook. Um, really encourage positive states and traits like Gratitude, compassion, love, again, right? So, and then the third is to have positive institutions where you're having support from people that are also positive, full of love and compassion, um, you know, in an environment that fosters that positive attitude. So if we look at that and we apply that to Krishna consciousness, you know, compassion is huge. I mean, we say it every morning. It's in our prayers, right? We offer uh, our respectful obeisance to all the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord who are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. So we are the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord. So we, therefore, we have compassion. We just sometimes need to be in touch with that compassion and realize that we have that compassion. And that includes being compassionate for ourselves because we are a devotee, so we can't be hard on ourselves either. Um, so with that, you know, we have to realize that Krishna consciousness is not a one and done. Right? It's a process. And we're all on that journey together. In 625, he says, Krishna says, gradually, step by step, one should become situated. He doesn't say immediately. Right? You just 
immediately you give up everything, immediately you chant 16 rounds, immediately. He says, gradually, we take on this process. In the purport of 326, uh, Prabhupada says, all rituals, all performances of sacrifices and everything that is put into the Vedas, including all direction for material activities, are meant for understanding Krishna, who is the ultimate goal of life. But because the conditioned souls do not know anything beyond sense gratification, they study the Vedas to that end. But through fruit of activities and sense gratification regulated by Vedic rituals, one is gradually elevated to Krishna consciousness. Therefore, a realized soul in Krishna consciousness should not disturb others in their activities or understanding, but should act by showing how the results of all work can be dedicated to the service of Krishna. I'm going to read that one more time because I found that to be very profound. A realized soul in Krishna consciousness should not disturb others in their activities and understanding. But he should act by showing how the results of all work can be dedicated to the service of Krishna. Basically, Prabhupada's saying here is that we preach by example. We show, not tell. And, you know, sometimes I find this is a very difficult thing, even for me, because when we see somebody doing something, we're all like, oh, no, you shouldn't do this, and you should do this, and then all of a sudden we're shooting all over people, and that can be very discouraging. I mean, I just think about sometimes I've had conversations with people and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with my Krishna consciousness. And I'm like, okay, this is what I'm doing. And they're like, oh, but you're not doing this. You should be doing this. And all of a sudden I felt so discouraged that maybe I shouldn't even be doing the little bit that I am doing. And this is, you know, knowing the importance of Krishna consciousness and knowing how much it brings to my life and still feeling that level of discouragement just by a comment that somebody makes. Imagine if I was just, you know, budding and I'm still battling, is this really the way, is it not? And somebody makes a discouraging remark like that. I can feel very discouraged and and decide that this is not my path. So we have to be very careful in what we say to other people and very compassionate to them, right, and encouraging. So... You know, if um, we're talking to someone who's of Christian faith and they're talking about their love for Jesus, then we should encourage their love for Jesus instead of being like, oh, well, no, you need to, you know, worship Krishna. Because it's, right now it may not be their path, but they may eventually come there if they see that how we're living and what we're doing. Or they may actually just even respect that instead of being inimical, right? They may be like, oh, well, I can see that you have something also. Um, so we have to present that from an example point of view, not, you know, do this and do that, but then we're not doing it ourselves, and it becomes like, well, I don't know, you're not doing it, so how important is it? So it's a new year, 2020, a new decade. It's a good time to create intentions to strengthen our Krishna consciousness. You know, but we know that by associating with devotees, um, it encourages us and it can minimize our association with people. And we want to minimize our association with people who discourage us. And that can be other devotees, and it can also be family members. 
It could be friends. It could be, you know, different things. So we want to be very intentional about who we spend our time with. And are these people going to uplift us? Are they going to encourage us? And encouragement and uplifting doesn't mean that they're going to be like, oh, yeah, everything you're doing is great. It's that they're, they know how to approach you when, you know, you need the tough love, right? And we can see that when we look at our relationship with our spiritual master. Um, I know with my spiritual master, Tamal Krishna Goswami, he was very expert at knowing just how much tough love to give each person, um, to encourage them and not necessarily, you know, drive them away. But sometimes he was quite heavy. Um, I never personally experienced that. He was always quite loving and sweet and kind to me. But he, you know, he used to joke about how it's a good thing I'm becoming a doctor because I'm not really qualified to become anything else, uh, which I thought was, you know, very sweet. But it also encouraged me to continue on my path to be a doctor. Um, we want to focus on the positives of Krishna consciousness, right? We want to create that positive environment Focus on the strengths, right? Like when we chant, we know we feel good throughout the day, so we focus on that. We know that sometimes it can be hard to focus on the four regulative principles, um, especially like with all the depression and hopelessness. It's easy to want to turn to an easy fix like alcohol or drugs. For some people, it's food. For me, it's food. Um, you know, other things like that that even though they're not necessarily considered intoxicant, we can become quite addicting, addicted to the, you know, temporary highs that it brings us, right? Like when you eat a really nice piece of cake, especially chocolate cake, um, you can feel, like, good inside. Of course, in a little bit, you feel bad from all that sugar and fat and, you know. So we focus on the positives, right? Like the positives of... Kirtan 50, you know, how uplifting that is to sit in Kirtan and hear Krishna's holy names being glorified in so many different ways. We focus on that, not the discomfort of sitting in a crowded temple room on the floor for hours on end, maybe feeling hungry, maybe, you know, just kind of being part of this body. Um, but usually the memories I, I keep with me is the the joy that you, we feel. And then I forget how much pain and, and discomfort there was sitting on the floor the whole f- three, four days, whatever it was, until the next year comes again. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that happened. We sit on the floor all day. Um, we want to focus on feeling compassion for others. Right? We talked about this, not shooting over other people feeling compassion for ourselves, so we don't want to shit on ourselves either. We don't want to be like, oh, my God, I should do this, and I should do that. It's not very encouraging. You know, I used to go, oh, my God, I should get up in the morning and chant my rounds. It sounds like I'm beating myself up. Like, do I really want to chant my rounds under that kind of um, mentality? Instead, I started to think, oh, wow, I want to get up in the morning and chant my rounds. I want to be inspired to chant my rounds first thing in the morning. Sounds a lot better. Sounds a lot more positive. It feels a lot more positive, right? It feels like, oh yeah, I do want to do that. When I say should, I'm like, ugh, do I want to do that? Um, 
So we do, we want to focus on chanting our japa, avoiding the ten offenses and chanting with attention to the mantra. It's actually a key point of our Krishna consciousness and feeling fixed in our faith is our chanting. And if our chanting is filled with offenses or it's inattentive, it's hard to feel firm in our faith. It's hard to experience the joys of Krishna consciousness. It's one of the reasons why even after, what, like 20-something years of chanting, I may still get a little bit caught up in despair and despondence um, because, you know, the, the pure chanting is not there. On the other hand, I know that that can happen so that I have hope, right? So it's not full despair and, you know, like just forget everything and not do anything and crawl under the covers um, because I have hope that... One day, through this process, that I will get there. Also, we should keep in mind that in Bhagavad Gita 5.22, it says, An intelligent person does not take part in the sources of misery, which are due to contact with material senses. Such pleasures have a beginning and end, and so the wise man does not delight in them. So again, this is about focusing on not creating any disturbance for other people, not criticizing others, not, you know, um, discouraging others, but also being a source of inspiration and um, preaching by example once again. So our hope is in our faith. And our faith is strengthened by our relationship to Krishna and his devotees. So what we want to do for this new year is is focusing on firming our faith and firming our relationship to Krishna and firming our relationship to the devotees. That doesn't mean every single devotee. That means the ones that we know that we can have that um, positive, encouraging relationship with. Because in the end, we always want to think of Krishna and never forget him. And that is our goal. Right? That's why we do everything that we do, so that we can realize and, re- and remember him at every single moment. What questions do you have for me? Yes, Naratam. My pleasure. So the question is that we are seeing um, increases in marijuana production, in um, you know medicinal marijuana, and marijuana has been legalized in some sense. And so what is the difference between using marijuana for a medicinal purpose or even having like a glass of wine to relax with friends? Then, um, you know, uh, and everything else. So what is the difference? So I would say really it comes down to the mentality behind it. Um, you know, on some level, A glass of wine at the end of the day is not a big deal, but then when we become dependent on that glass of wine to unwind, then it becomes more of a big deal. Do we always have to have the wine to feel like we're relaxing and unwinding? 
Do we always have to have the marijuana to feel like we're relaxing, you know, to combat anxiety? What else are we doing for more, you know, I wouldn't say more natural because marijuana is considered natural, but more internal uh, way of dealing with these levels of stress. Um, you know, one of the big things, because my passion in medicine is lifestyle medicine, and previously it's integrative holistic medicine. And one of the things that I noticed with integrative holistic medicine is that people would stop taking pharmaceutical drugs, but now are taking herbal drugs, right? So they're replacing one drug with another drug. It's not really getting at the root of the matter. And the root of the matter is that we're separated from Krishna, and, and we are suffering from that separation, so we're trying to do all these things to mitigate that suffering, but the only thing that will mitigate that suffering is to connect ourselves back to Krishna. So, you know, if we're working on our um, relationship to Krishna and, and we might be feeling overly stressed or anxious and we take a puff of marijuana to help relax us, it's not that big of a deal, but if we're constantly needing that puff and we're constantly needing... You know, it's like, oh my God, when am I going to get my next drink? When am I going to get my next hit? That's a different mentality, right? Just like if we're talking about food addiction, it's a different thing to just sit and eat food. We need food to nourish ourselves. But it's a different thing to overindulge, right? In Bhagavad Gita, it says not to eat too much or too little. But if we eat too much, then, you know, and we're eating the wrong foods that aren't nourishing our body, then... It's not really doing anything. It's creating, it's another way to mitigate that suffering without connecting to the root cause. Well, so the question is, is, you know, we're, our source of despondency comes from our disconnection from Krishna. So how do we feel that connection um, in our everyday life? And how do we continue when, when it's hard to feel that, con- that connection and it's abstract and not tangible? Is that the question? So a few things come to mind. One, the example that you gave of going to work for free um, sometimes that feels like that, especially when you're overworked and undervalued and underpaid. It feels like that. And, and we feel that because it's, it's in the material world. It's subject to the modes of material nature. And our ego comes into play and um, things like that. So in order for us to feel that connection with Krishna, well, in some ways is abstract. It's hard to imagine. You know, for us, we have a little bit better advantage because we get to dress the deities. We have that personal connection of, of intimate service um, with the deities. So we feel a little bit, right? Like, because I know, like, when I get to dress any of the deities, but especially with Radha Kalachanji, because they're a little bit bigger, you know, it's nice to give Kalachanji a little hug. Um, you know, it's easier in some ways to talk to them. Uh, when when we're up there dressing, even with Radha Govinda, I talk to him the whole time I'm dressing him. I don't know if I like should be focusing on prayers, but I'm always just like, so this is going on in my life, and 
Um, so that's one thing. And then the other is, is the association of devotees. Um, you know, Tamal Krishna Goswami said in one of the lectures that it was basically the basis of Prabhupada creating ISKCON is for us to associate with each other and that it's the um, heart of our spiritual life because without association, we can feel lost. We don't have that tangible relationship, right? And we want to create positive relationships, positive, tangible relationships with each other. <clears throat> so it's very important to associate, associate with devotees that are of our peers, you know, associate with devotees that are more neophyte and associate with devotees that are more uh, advanced than we are um, because that's what kind of really keeps us there. And then focusing, when we chant Japa, focusing on this is our time to sit down with Krishna, right? So sometimes it's hard to get the japa done in a timely fashion in the morning. Um, the day gets by with us. And I was thinking about this, like, you know, the other day I was meeting a friend for lunch, and I put it in my calendar, you know, 1.30, show up at this place at this time. Now, I'm, you know, chronically late everywhere, so maybe I got there at 1.40. But I was there at 1.40, and I spent that couple of hours with my friend eating lunch, right? Why don't we treat our japa the same way? Put it in our calendar, show up, and imagine that Krishna is sitting across the table from us or across the seat from us, and we're having this conversation with him, right? And if we start to focus on our japa as a conversation to Krishna, then we can start to feel a little bit more of that connection, is it easy to do? No. <laughs> it, it takes a lot of effort and, and mental like focus to do that. And we just read about how the mental focus is gone in Kali We don't have it, right? So we, it takes a little extra for us to achieve that. And that's why I say in some ways like everything that we do in Krishna consciousness is just a way to strengthen our japa, right? So then we read, we study the Bhagavad Gita on... How are we to act in certain situations? How do we get to this point of feeling um, unequivocal to happiness and distress? How do we, you know, and then we associate with each other for that. It's kind of like a support group. We're a support group for each other. Um, and we have support groups in different ways. We chat, we hang out, you know. I can think of so many times, like, I get together with some of my friends and we are in an environment that's, you know, completely on the material platform. And somehow or another, we create a little bubble amongst ourselves, and the conversation always turns to Krishna, somehow or another, how Krishna has affected our lives. And we can see our relationship to Krishna, and what keeps me going is I can see so many different little things that, you know, that happen that has me going, yeah, oh, thank you. Oh yeah, you know, Krishna is looking out for me. He is he is actually here in his form, you know? And I may not see him, but he presents himself. Like recently I had this idea, I mean, anyway, this is very personal, but when we learned that women can become gurus at the age of 55, well that's for me that's 10 years from now. And I'm not gonna, I don't necessarily want to be a guru. I don't, I don't know if that's my path in life. 
But I definitely want to be qualified to be a guru. So I started thinking like this. And lo and behold, what happens? I come across challenges that show me all the things that I need to work on. It's not coincidental, right? Like, all of a sudden, these things that have been a part of my character, personality, traits, have become problematic when, for all this time, you know, I was kind of getting away with it. Krishna's like, you want to be qualified? Well, you have to work on these issues And I can totally see his hand in that, right? There have been other situations, like I was coming from uh, shopping, and I was on a, I just exited on Munger. And usually when I'm at that that stoplight, I pull out my phone, and I start to, like, you know, like, look up stuff. I don't know, kind of get bored at the light. And at this moment, I decided I wasn't going to do that. And I'm sitting there looking at the light, looking ahead, and I feel this kind of whoosh, right? Like, and my car kind of shakes. And I look in my rearview mirror, and I look back, and this car just kind of, like, lifted up and went onto the um, the median, that little, there's like a hill there. And I understood this car was coming so fast that he could not have braked. He could not have hit his brakes in time to not hit me. And yet somehow his car was just swept along to the side, and went up the hill. And I was like, I really felt like Nershingadev had like, you know, pushed this car out so it didn't crash into me. And it's like little things like that. And I'm sure there are people that have had so many stories that are like that. So, you know, one, we have to be very careful of what we wish for, especially when we're with Krishna, because he's like, oh, you wanted this? Are you sure you wanted this? Because that's how I feel a lot of the times. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I need to really focus on this. But on the other hand, he, he protects us at every single moment of our lives. And we don't even know. Right? It's like that, I can't remember, is it like Mr. Bean? Or it's like this character on TV and British show where you know, he's like walking along and, and he could easily like fall off the cliff and somehow a, a plank appears underneath him and... You know, it's like he, all these things like coincidentally happening, and we don't even know if that's happening to us. So, I think we've gone a little over today. I apologize, especially since everybody's probably anxious to break their fast. So, we'll end here. Zadantara Srimad Bhagavatam ki.